So whether you're watching online, you're here in person, welcome. Glad that you're a part of our service this morning. Mitch, thank you for that update. I always think it's good to, to get reconnected. Uh, that Dustin wasn't some random stranger who showed up once and love him and leave him one done, you know, disappears off to the corners of the world. And if he's around this summer, maybe we could have him back because that would really be neat. And uh, what you shared, I think, is kind of intriguing uh, to hear more about and how that's actually working out. So uh, that would be fun. So if you'd help me <laughs> remember that, maybe we can uh, get him uh, on our schedule, get us on his schedule, however that works. Okay, uh, we're moving on in Genesis. Uh, I have on the screen a picture of a book I ran across recently and from that book comes this following story. One of the most haunting things about living in Rwanda after the genocide is that killers still walk among survivors. During the summer of 1994, the dominant Hutu tribe began a, began a ruthless effort to wipe out all Tutsi people living in Rwanda. Perhaps if you've been around for a while, this rings a bell. Uh, armed with nothing but uh, uh, machetes, men walked from village to village, hacking to death everyone they found. Hundreds of thousands of people died with only a few fortunate survivors in a very short period of time. Claude was one of those survivors. In 1994, as a 13-year-old, Claude ran for his life through the jungle as a man ran after him, bent on hacking him to death with his machete. Claude managed to hide out until the killing ended, but he lost his mother, father, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, home, childhood, and certainly his innocence. Now, fast forward to 2005. Claude started attending a Christian group called Solus. It was through that ministry that Claude discovered God's love for orphans like himself. And he chose at that time to follow Christ and to become a child of God. Claude went on to university and began teaching others about Christ from stories of Scripture. One of his favorite stories is, guess what? Joseph. He and many other survivors could relate to one so mistreated and be filled with the hope that maybe they too might see a greater purpose that God would have in their lives, one for the good, not just for themselves, but one for the good of others. Over time, God convicted Claude of his need to let go of the hatred in his heart for the people who had killed his family and to personally forgive them. So Claude returned to his old village for a dedication of a genocide memorial in town. While there, Claude knocked on the door of a man's house whose name was, and I can't make this up, his name was Innocent. Innocent was recently released from prison after serving six years for his role in the genocide. Innocent had led a band of killers who murdered Claude's aunt, uncle, and grandmother. A year earlier, this moment where Claude stands at his door, Innocent turned to God while in prison and begged for forgiveness. So Claude's at his door and he knocks. Innocent answers the door. Claude? Innocent recognized him immediately standing in his doorway. Yes, 
It's me. Why have you come back? I'm here to tell you, Claude said, that if you confess, I'm ready to forgive you. Innocent stepped back, tried to catch his breath. If Claude had hit him, he would have been less surprised. I'm the one who should have come to you, he said, still staggered. Can you possibly forgive the man who killed your own grandmother, your aunt, and your uncle? Pause. And then Innocent says, please, Claude, I beg you to forgive me. Tears stream down the faces of both men by this time. Claude says, with God's help, I forgive you. Choking back the pain, then as he recalls at that moment, feeling a flood of relief pour over his mind and his heart. An amazing story, isn't it? This book is filled with stories like that. I'd highly recommend you grab it and check it out. Last week, we talked about for the hardship of the past to be forgotten, the sins of the past must be forgiven. Not ignored, not worked around, not forgotten for a few moments, but actually truly, deeply forgiven. And now this week, we build on that thought with that second um, sentence you see on the screen. When forgiveness happens, then true reconciliation can follow. We sang songs this morning about reconciliation. It is an idea, uh, a theological idea that runs deep in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. So we're going to connect those dots this morning. But it's also perhaps uh, an idea that is in theory, that sounds good and right, but we don't always flesh out. And maybe, and I'm probably guilty of this, don't we don't spend the time on, on working through what this really means, how important it is, and what is required to bring us to the point of reconciliation. Uh, certainly, uh, emotions are a part of uh, the moment where you have an opportunity to forgive someone, right? And we would all like to feel good about forgiving somebody, right? The emotions take over in a positive way. Uh, and so often the case is that emotions don't rule. I mean, if emotions did rule the day, we would probably not forgive, right? The effort, the energy, uh, the place you have to get yourself doesn't usually feel good when it comes to that point where you can forgive. What Claude did, what Joseph did, what we've been reading about, uh, it, as, he, as you consider his past, right, and what he's been through, and then yet to forgive, and as you consider, maybe you're already considering right now, some of the things that have happened to you in your life. And maybe at some point, God has said, you know what, there's a, there's a tweak in your heart, or there's a, maybe there's a, a guilt feeling, or there, there's something, you know, kind of weighing on you that you would have to admit, you know what, there is that person, and there's that situation and I've never wanted to forgive them because of what they did to me, and why should I do that, right? Yet there's something you know that's left undone in that situation. And that if possibly, if you did extend forgiveness, maybe that would bring about some healing that isn't there yet. But, but, what they did to me, I can't forgive, or I can't forget, or I can't just let go of, because that's wrong. 
So it, I don't downplay, I don't take for granted, I, I don't easily, quickly gloss over anybody's pain or anybody's struggle. This is real stuff. And uh, we can, uh, like any scripture story, we can detach ourselves, right? That's an ancient story. That's what they did, whatever. No, uh, we believe that Joseph is a real story, is a real person, and all those bad things really happened to him. Yet this morning, we move past uh, forgiveness into the glory of what forgiveness can truly bring. And that's what I was hinting at earlier, that whole, not just theological idea, but real life stuff. What happens to us personally and corporately when we forgive? And that is reconciliation uh, with our, our relationship with God and what he does for us in, in forgiving us and then reconciliation offered freely. And I, I believe as a result of forgiveness, how we can then be reconciled together is truly, truly a God thing by the power of the grace of God changing us. Can we hope to actually be reconciled with each other? So this is this, this morning is the glorious payoff. And all the struggle and all the testing and all the uh, what is happening and all the what God are you up to, we now get to this morning in uh, Genesis chapter 45, we get to the point where I always say payoff. I don't know if you like that or not. It works for me. Uh, but, I, oh, this, the, the, the turning point in the story where it all begins to come together. So, when, <clears throat> here's the big outline, okay? When reconciliation happens, there are a number of things that pour out of us because of God putting those things in us, okay? When, reconcilia when reconciliation happens, we see a number of things happening primarily here in Joseph's life and in his family and beyond, and as believers in Christ, we can see the same thing happen with our lives. So here's the payoff time. Are you ready? You strapped in? This is glorious stuff. Chapter 45, when reconciliation happens, there is, and I'll say it like this, pure joy, overwhelming outpouring of pure joy. Why do I say that? Let's begin to read. Uh, verses one through three. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. What a wonderful understatement after all these things we've been through, right? He recognized them. You remember that all the way back as soon as he saw them, but they didn't recognize him. He's a different guy. He's growing up. He looks like an Egyptian, right? He talks like Egypt, walks like Egyptian. Is that a song? That's a song, right? Yeah. So that was Joseph. And now they're going, what? <laughs> what has just happened? What is happening here? And you see and you read Joseph's when he finally lets the floodgates open, uh, the last Sunday we saw all those different times that he had to remove himself. He was, uh, he was about to be overcome, his emotions, there with his family again. He'd have to go in the other room and, and cry like a baby for a while, like ugly cry stuff, I imagine. And then he gets himself together and he comes back and he you know, puts on the, the, the ruler of Egypt look. you know. And then right now, 
at this moment, he just comes unglued. And it's almost comical. He wept aloud. I mean, so loud that the Egyptians heard it, even though he pushed them out of the room, right? You guys get out of here. I'm about to lose it with these Hebrews. They heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Now, we don't know how far away that house is, okay? We don't have the measurements here. Is it a block? Is it around the corner? Is it down the street? Is it a mile away? I don't know. But the narrator lets us into the fact that he just comes unglued because of the joy that is pouring out of him at this moment. He finally gets to do the big reveal to the astonishment of his brothers. Let's not lose sight of the fact that when reconciliation happens, there is a bursting forth of joy. Now, it doesn't always look like Joseph. You're, you don't always find yourself bawling like a, an ugly baby or whatever and losing control. But sometimes, sometimes emotions are a good, healthy thing. And especially for Midwesterners to understand that, right? It's okay to pop the cork out of the bottle and let loose. And whether that's singing or shouting or crying, that is a sign that a change has taken place. When was the last time that you had that kind of bursting forth kind of joy that resulted in, in, in laughter or crying or whatever? When was that moment? Can you remember the time? Did it have anything to do with Christ? And anything to do with him changing you when you saw what he's done, right? And you get to be a part of it. And then the joy comes after that. Now, there are plenty of times that I was thinking about this past week that I could go back to, and, and no, I've already talked about that. No, I've already talked about that. Uh, I may be used up all by joy stories. Uh, but I do have stories from Scripture just to make us ponder for a second, okay? One of them, the, the, one of the first things that comes to mind, we're not going to take time to read it, back in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal sons, plural, both of them, uh, both of them had issues, okay, not just the one. But when the one, the first one, the really bad one, right, you know, uh, goes off, eats pig, whatever, and then comes back to dad, and what does dad do? Remember the story? When he is far off, dad jumps out of his chair off the porch and does not, and, and the son has already rehearsed what he's going to do to beg for forgiveness. Will you take me in and give me a job somewhere? He doesn't have a chance to say any of that because his dad throws himself at him and wraps his arms around him. My son was dead and now he's, now he's alive. He was lost and he's found. That kind of joy, which is a picture of God's joy for you. Do you remember, can you, can you visualize just for a moment when God looks at you, he is not immediately filled with disgust. He is not troubled. Why did I choose you, right? That's the love of God. Pure joy at seeing you. Turn around. Want to come home. I don't care what it is that you'd rehearsed. I just love you. I just love you. That's God for us. What else about our salvation? Uh, I was, I can't remember who it was. Somebody reminded me of this verse a couple weeks ago. So uh, I'm going to draw your attention to it. First Peter chapter one. Peter's talking about concerning first Peter one chap, uh, chapter one, verse 10, concerning this salvation. He's reminding them in his opening remarks, what kind of salvation they have, which we all need to have ourselves reminded of every once in a while. Am I right? 
Yes, I'm right. I'm the pastor. I'm always right. Okay, so verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring about uh, who Christ is, the time of Christ, predicting the sufferings of Christ. It was revealed to them, verse 12, and announced to you through those who preached the good news to you. So they need to be reminded about how all these things have fit together, right? And here's the really cool thing and how he ends verse 12. The good news brought to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Our salvation is so great and so special and so specific to our need, angels don't have a clue what it means to be saved. They long to look into the mystery of the gospel. Why would God love these guys? Why would the Son come to die? They, they'll, and they'll never know personally what the joy of being reconciled back to God as a free gift. They'll never know. And maybe someday when the kingdom finally comes, in all its fullness and wonder and glory and power, and maybe we'll get to hang out with angels at the corner cafe or whatever is in that new Jerusalem, and we'll be able to talk about what it is that we received. And what, maybe, I don't know, I'm being too weird, uh, maybe we'll be able to chat with them. I think possibly we will. And then we can begin to discuss things and describe the changes in our hearts. And what are they going to do? <laughs> They, they'll have nothing to compare it to. Only praise to the Father. That's all they'll be able to do. They long to look into what is this joy that these people have in response to the gospel. Pure joy is what Joseph experienced. Pure joy is what we have. Now, let's move on here. There's also something going else, something on, something ongoing. Uh, that we read about in chapter 45, and it is a new purpose. So there's pure joy, a new purpose. So let's read starting in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they're all wondering, who are you? What's going on? And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This Radical new purpose comes not from his brothers, but from whom? How many times does he say it? God, God, God. What was broken and what seemed uh, an, uh, a dead end? No, God. God had a purpose. So, uh, as we look deeper into what's going on here in chapter 45, we'll begin to see more and more of how life continues beginning in these verses because of God's merciful plan. Uh, you could also look at this and, and wonder and just be confounded at how Joseph says, I, you know, I'm your brother, sold you into Egypt, and now, verse 5, 
at that moment, there is no longer any more of the past. And now everything is pointed towards the future. God had a plan. It's still being revealed. It's all for good. And Joseph's vision in this idea of new purpose is looking forward to what God has for everyone. He's not stuck in the past. No matter what the past was, how often can we get slowly drawn into a rut that is based in and dug into what? Tradition, uh, what we're familiar with, what we're comfortable with, what, where we like to stay, but everything here is pointed towards and now, moving in the direction that God has for them. Life will continue because of God's merciful plan. Also, not just purpose, but we see the beginning of peace. There's no mention, again, of what the brothers did to Joseph. It just moves on. Uh, certainly not in any detail. Uh, I'm your brother who you sold into Egypt. Okay, let's, let's think about that for a while, right? <laughs> uh, we don't get any feeling that Joseph is caught up in this is revenge time and this is bitterness or there's just a few more things I want to get straight with you before we move on, right? You, we, that, how, how much of that really truly is human nature? I'm almost there. I'm almost ready to forgive you, but I still got a few of these things right here in this hand that I'd really like to bring up one more time. And in the beauty of this process of reconciliation with his brothers, uh, we don't get any feeling that there's any insincerity. Uh, he is genuinely ready to truly deeply forgive and move past that. Doesn't mean he's forgotten everything. Sometimes we get tripped on that. Uh, is, forg is forgiving, forgetting? Uh, well, maybe sometimes over, over time, yeah, but uh, just because you haven't forgotten every detail of what's been wrong doesn't mean you can't forgive. It really doesn't. So don't let yourself get stuck on that point. You don't have to forget everything. In fact, maybe uh, uh, in some ways it's better that we don't forget because it brings us back to, or can bring us back as God uses that memory, that uh, issue, that uh, time in your life to bring us back to his grace and how it is sufficient, not just for us, but really truly for everyone. So peace begins to happen as the direction moving forward. And as we've said many times, shalom, peace in scripture is not limited to just the uh, ending of hostility. That's part of it. There's no more hostility between Joseph and his brothers. But peace also is a much bigger idea uh, that, that uh, adds to uh, its meaning, it's the, the meaning of the word, the flourishing of people everywhere. What we begin to see happen here is not just Joseph and his family, but the world at the time, that whole entire region, there is peace that's going to affect everybody that wouldn't have been there in a bigger picture if it didn't happen first in a smaller picture with Joseph and his brothers. So their lives and their ability to reconcile begins to be a blessing to everyone. It's a ripple effect. You see that? It begins to work its way out. So that kind of leads us into the next one, which is preservation. So we'll read uh, starting in verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. 
You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Uh, back in verse 7, uh, backing up just a little bit here, uh, we read there is uh, the idea of preserving a remnant. And we begin to see in these verses just what that means, what that looks like, and how they're going to be preserved. Uh, another way to translate preserving for you a remnant is accomplish a great salvation. I like that wording better. I think that keys us in to what we're going to look at in the New Testament in just a couple minutes here. Uh, but any way you translate it, something great is happening. And it, be go and it goes beyond the blessing, uh, goes beyond the immediate family. So they're going to be given a place to grow. And it's not in the promised land. It's in Egypt. And this isn't a brand new idea. This may be a frustrating idea for the people, uh, the Hebrews, the, the family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've, they've been told, God's spoken to all of them, I'm giving you this land. Well, then why in the world are we landing in Egypt? I think that's a fair question, right? Uh, it seems like, does God know what he's doing? Is God really good on his promise, on his part of the covenant, right? So if you remember, maybe you do, maybe you don't, back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, as God is speaking to Abram at the time, he also reveals to Abram that Egypt at this point with Jacob and his kids and their kids, the whole big family, he reveals to Abram there will be a time that the whole family is going to go down to Egypt. So God's not caught off guard by a famine. He's not troubled with what's going on now. Oh, I hope this works out in the end. God is sovereign over all these things. God knew this was going to happen. It's a part of God's plan. There's no surprise to it. Egypt is a part of it. That's where they're going to go. That's where they're going to grow numerically like crazy. Uh, and then they will be ready for the next phase eventually when God brings them out of Egypt as part of the Exodus. But it's not, as far as occupying Canaan, it's not going to happen right now. The salvation that God is going to be at work in their lives is just going to get bigger and bigger. Now, Side note, real quick, I don't know if this is a deal with any of you, but I, I feel like I gotta put it out there. Because some people get worked up and get confused uh, with what the New Testament teaches regarding covenant and covenant theology and Israel and the place of Israel in God's plan. Israel as in uh, the land of Israel, okay? And how does that fit together? Because God is always good on his word. God said he will give uh, the land to the people of Israel, and now we have a nation state of Israel. So how does that nation state fit into God's plan and God's covenant purposes? And I don't know all that, but I do know this, okay? That the, New or the Old Testament clearly teaches that land is connected to covenant, okay? That is there. There's no doubt about it. There's no arguing that. So from Abram all the way through Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, we see that theme there that God has promised to give his people a place in the world. And that is ancient Canaan, it becomes Israel, okay? So covenant, land, they're connected together. But at the same time, 
covenant promises of God is always more than just land. Got that? I don't know if anybody cares about this right now. You can nod your head if you care about covenant in Israel. Okay, two of you and you're lying. Oh, no, three. All right, good. It, it is important. And this is the beginning point of how important to understand that covenant with God is never just land. A place with God is the important part. Land figures into that, but what's far more important are God's plans and purposes for his people that may include land sometimes, but far beyond that. What's happening with Jacob and his children? Are they going to miss out on the covenant plan and promise? Well, for now, that's not in the, it's not in the cards. Not God's sovereign plan and purpose. They're going to Egypt. That mean God's forgotten about his plan? No. That means God is still going to reveal eventually the land of his people? Yes. But for you right now, I think God is about to say through Jacob uh, in this uh, vision that's about we're about to read. For you right now, God's people, you're going to spend time in this other place until I'm ready for you to go to that next place. God's still good in his covenant. God still has a plan that he hasn't forgotten about, and we're still part of it. Are you aware of how God is working to bring about his good and perfect plan that is not limited to a chunk of land anywhere ever? See, God's not limited to any of those things. There is a passage, I believe it's in John. I should have looked it up. I don't have it. Somebody who is a wizard, this can look it up. The Pharisees, uh, it's probably John, because there's all sorts of uh, uh, examples passages in, in the Gospel of John where Jesus is head-to-head, toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, uh, and the Pharisees are talking about, uh, you know, that their way is the right way, and we know Moses, and we have the covenant, and we're the true Israel. We're the, the chosen children of God. And Jesus' response is pretty fiery. He says, don't you think that God can raise up Israel out of these rocks? Well, <laughs> that's kind of offensive. <laughs> if you think you're the chosen one and not that rock on the ground. But he makes a pretty solid point to those who are frustrated thinking that covenant has to be only and understood in only one way, and it's got to be me right now. Jesus says God is not limited by any of that. He's still true to his covenant, but he can do things that will amaze you and confound you and, and mess up your little world and how you think you've got it all figured out. I can, God can take these rocks and make Israel. He made armies out of dry bones, right? I mean, he's constantly reminding us through Scripture, he's not limited to our, to our understanding. And his covenant plans and purposes blow us out of the water. So, that, I'm going to move on there. Okay, so God's promise and God's presence. Chapter 45, verse 25, and we'll sneak into chapter 46 here. So, they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. Just think, just think for a second how crazy that would sound, okay? You know, you thought he was dead for over 20 years, and, what, and what's his response? And his heart became numb, for he did not believe him. A, a literal way of translating that is his heart stopped. Now, I don't know if we take that literally or not. I don't know if anybody had a defib kind of machine there, or if they knew CPR at the time, or if God just brought him back. If we take it literally, his heart stopped at that moment. And you can understand why. He did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, 
And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. I love that wording. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. What a beautiful, not just promise, but presence of God. It's been a while in the book of Genesis since we've heard God speak. I don't know if you noticed that or not. It's, it's been a number of chapters back. So years now in the family line, as far as we know, there's been no vision, no direct vision of God speaking, no God's presence or no angelic kind of occurrence going on. It's been kind of quiet. So here at this turning point, God graciously intercedes and shows up, so to speak, in this vision. And what does he tell him? Is the land of the covenant forgotten? Well, we already kind of talked about that. In, in a sense, it's, it's shelved. It's put in the background because God's telling him, go with him. It's okay. This is a part of my plan. But what is most important? God's presence. Now think of that. Think of that just for a second. No matter where you go, you can be strong and have courage because I am with you. How many times is that message repeated in Scripture? Can you think of one right now? Joshua, you know, as he goes into the promised land after the exodus, after Moses, you know, God reminds him of his presence. There's no reason to fear, but be strong and courageous. I'm with you over and over again. It's not about the place, and it's not limited to the circumstances. What matters more than anything else, and this is enough for you, that I go with you. My plan will be accomplished. You're going to be okay. Joseph, Joseph will be there. You're not going to die alone out in the desert somewhere. He'll be there figuratively, literally, to close your eyes. When it's all said and done, you're going to be okay. Because I am with you every step of the way. What an awesome promise as we consider what happens as a result of God's reconciling us to himself, and just the place that we can be in in life that is peace-filled, knowing that God never leaves, that he never forsakes. That's a theme picked up by Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus himself says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do not worry. You can take heart. He is the overcomer. In fact, he has overcome the world. Are you kidding me? Death could not hold him. Jesus lives, and he's with you. That's amazing stuff. If that truth, if that part of the wonder and the glory of reconciliation is changing you, then you can possibly live as one who is a part of God's reconciling purpose in ways that truly matter in this world today. So, let me 
give you the, yeah, that's what we talked about. Pure joy, new purpose, peace, preservation, God's promise, and his presence. I didn't even try to alliterate, okay? It just poured out, right? I'm not one for alliteration, but it just happened. So if you like that, this is your day, okay? It's all those P words. How exciting is that? But that's true, not just for Joseph, but for us. All of these things need to be, I believe, in a genuine, sincere way coming out of us to validate who we are in this world around us right now. So where do I get that? I get it from this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Maybe you've heard others say, you know, in, in, in the Greek, this is a definite kind of thing. Uh, that the, the old has passed away is a point in time. The new has come. This is, brings in another point in time that is ongoing. So remember Jacob, his heart stopped and the Lord revived him. In a spiritual way, if you are in Christ, your heart stopped. Your heart that beat for yourself or for what, pick your idol. There's a whole lot of them, right? Pick your whatever reason for living. When you come to Christ and realize your need in him, your heart stopped. That life ended. It's that dramatic. Now, maybe not the circumstances. Maybe you didn't feel this dramatic thing. Uh, we've talked about that a lot of times. It's not about the emotions. Um, uh, you can't you just open your eyes and oh, everything looks the same. Yeah, yeah, you're still here, okay? But, but there's a change that has begun happening on the inside. And just as Jacob was revived by God, we are revived into this new life. A new life has come into us, and it's Jesus. What else do we hear? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and also gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's bringing two things together. He's connecting them for the Corinthians and for us this morning. It's not just one or the other, or it's not just one period. One act of reconciliation between us and God necessarily draws us into what he calls a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God in order to genuinely minister reconciliation to, you must first have a place to minister reconciliation from. No flower, flowery speech, no amazing intellect, uh, no uh, a certain argument that we can have is ever going to win anybody. What begins, especially in our culture today, what begins to open eyes and make people go, huh, is the fact that we bleed out, ooze out reconciliation change. We've got joy. We live in the, with the presence of God. We are defined by a new purpose. What else did I put on that list? Peace. Are you kidding me? We have peace with God. 
We no longer have to fight and win in our arguments with each other. Although sometimes we tend to, you know, uh, go that direction and, and prefer that. No, we can be at peace with people that are and were once, were once our enemies because of the peace that we have at the cross. These things should define us and radically change us in the eyes of others. So, to be forgiven is to be transformed by the forgiveness, forgiveness that we receive in our relationship with Christ. As we live in that forgiveness, it continues to expand and to change us. How else are people going to be changed today unless they see that ministry of reconciliation begin our, in our own lives? Consider that list for a moment. Are these things that are made up in your life? Or are these, is this short list of, of, of radically changing things, are these things that are happening in your life. Consider what is happening in this list and your heart this week. Would you, would you please give that a few moments of time, of consideration, of prayer? Are these happening? If not, why? Uh, talk to someone, pray with someone, talk to me, talk to someone who has been down the path of following Christ for a while. This isn't a judge time. This isn't, you know, make you feel bad time. But, uh, Get deeper into what's going on in your lifetime. That's what I'll call it, okay? Consider what it is. Take stock. Evaluate. Where, where are you at with Christ? Are these things happening and transforming you? And also, consider the relationship with you ha that you have with, the, with each other, with people around you, uh, whoever you'd spend time with this week. And consider what, it, what does it look like if I'm going to take what Paul tells the Corinthians uh, to heart, that I am a minister of reconciliation, that Christ is pleading with others through me to be reconciled to God, what might that look like in my relationship with other people? Okay, uh, Maybe that's sharing more of your faith. Maybe that's talking more about Christ. Maybe that is a combination of what you're saying and how you're living and how you're handling yourself with other people. Maybe it needs and requires a renewing of your life before Christ and others. Uh, maybe you should take stock in the things that you take or find joy in. Uh, if what gives you joy and happiness has nothing to do with Christ, uh, then it's time to evaluate and reconsider what it is that you're spending time on. Maybe your heart is bent towards something else other than Jesus. Take some time to consider that. And then prayerfully acknowledge your need for the Spirit to work in you. And then what is it? And how is it that God could use you just as you are as a minister of reconciliation? Let's pray. Lord God, I, I, I love the story of what you've done in Joseph's life. I love that moment where he finally reveals and to consider uh, the pure joy, the wonder of being brought back together when there is no worldly way. Why would this happen? Yet, God, you, you made a way through their lives, through forgiveness, to bring about and to work a new wonderful thing. Lord, I pray as we consider that example that we would also consider our own lives and the state of our heart and where we're at and what we find joy in. Lord, open our eyes to the possibilities 
of being a minister, ministers of reconciliation, so that people could see, yes, Jesus is real, because I know it's true in them, and I've, I've found it to be real and authentic. Lord, move us forward as a church, as your body that engages with, these peop- with people around us in meaningful and, and uh, life-changing ways. We're so thankful, Lord, that you made a moment in our lives as believers where our hearts stopped, and you turned it back on again because of your love and, gr- and grace to see you and to know you and to respond in love to you. Jesus, use that power, that same power that raises us from the spiritual death that we had into uh, new and wonderful, powerful ways of living for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.